Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Media. Hello everyone, and welcome to It Could Happen Here, podcast returning from our holiday break to discuss the exciting topic of infectious diseases in Gaza. And for that, we're uh, joined by an all-star cast of uh, experts. We have joining us today Saskia Popescu, who's an infectious disease epidemiologist and assistant professor at the University of Maryland. Uh, welcome, Saskia. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, it's not just you. We've also got Carve. Carve's uh, back. I'm back. I'm, I'm back, baby. I'm back. This is actually my first time. This is Shireen also. I'm here. Uh, this is my first time meeting Carve. So this is a, a real treat oh, wow. for me. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Shireen. Like I've Hi. done you wrong, Shireen. I'm sorry. I didn't introduce you. That's okay. It's probably in the description or something that I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's no one's surprised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll, you'll make a valuable contribution. People will know you're here. But yeah, it, it's all of us. And yeah, we, we're talking today because like... I think the uh, the origin story of this particular episode is that like a few weeks ago, there was a very funny thing on the internet about people in the IDF getting diarrhea. Yeah. Which is funny, objectively. That's what the yeah. D in IDF stands for, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> what all the kids are saying. Uh, but sorry. Unfortunately, I'm sorry, I'm no, sorry. No, it's don't, funny. It's, don't you ever apologize yeah, for poop humor. No, yeah. you do not apologize for that. Uh, no. uh, any opportunity yeah. just to shit on them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is, you, expect many, it's half an hour at least of this. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> be guys. driving because you might laugh too much and crash. Uh, but no, it, it's very funny. It's the name of our group chat. It's the Israeli Diarrhea Forces. But aside from that, it, like this raises a more important question, right? Which is that people in Gaza don't have access to very many medical supplies to begin with. Uh, weird, weird things are embargoed, like tourniquets, which we've spoken about in this podcast before. They also have, obviously, a very resource-constrained environment to begin with. And then a number of their hospitals have been bombed since then, which obviously further reduces their access to medical care. Also, they have less access to things like running water now because they're being bombed to uh, an incredible degree. 
And so Saskia has joined us today to like explain the risk of the spread of infectious disease, maybe give us an update on like what's already happening and the risks of what could happen. So I guess maybe we should start off with really basic stuff and explain what infectious diseases are and like how they're different from non-communicable diseases. I guess people aren't familiar. Would one of you like to do that? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. So infectious diseases, you know, we have, when we talk about diseases in general, as you mentioned, there are chronic diseases, things like diabetes, cancer. When we talk about infectious diseases, meaning they're communicable, for the most part, that means that they are spread through various sources, human to human, like influenza. There's things like anthrax that you can, E. coli, Campylobacter, that you can get from soil, from food, and the zoonotic diseases that they are also spread through animals. So things like Ebola, uh, MERS, which is uh, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome Coronavirus. So infectious diseases are viruses, bacteria, fungi, parasites, and they really love to take advantage of high-stress environments for spread. And unfortunately, this is one of them. So this is a very, what we see with infectious diseases a lot is that conflict and environments where people are stressed, resources are stressed, and the environment is under continuous bombardment. There's densely populated spaces, no access to health, clean food and water, etc. I mean, I could probably go on for five minutes about what makes an infectious disease spread is going to amplify it. So these are diseases that take advantage of these environments. I'll, I'll add that the situation is just a perfect setup for infectious disease to run rampant. There's over 1.9 million people that have been displaced. Of that, 1.4 million are living in overcrowded shelters at this point. And at the, in the best scenario, from what I've seen, there's one toilet for every 220 people. Now, if you ever lived in like a house of like five people, and there's like one case of diarrhea, you'll realize how terrible that is. Now, you amplify that to 220 at the minimum, and that's a best case scenario. I've heard as high as one per 700 people in some places. And then, you know, people have to go in the streets. They have to go where there's water supplies, and you're, you're going to be infecting those areas. There's one shower for every like 4,500 people, again, in best case scenario. So it's a huge number of people getting concentrated into smaller and smaller areas and without the infrastructure there to handle that in any way. And when that happens, I mean, we are going to see, I am really worried about seeing in the end of this more deaths from infectious disease than from the bombardments. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That, that's like a, it almost feels like a, a double, like another weapon that they're, that, that they're, that they've used because they're not letting them have a chance to recuperate or, have a sanitary place to do surgeries or anything because if they're doing surgery with unsanitary conditions, they can get infected. Like the wounds can get infected, and that's a whole other thing. Or even just like having waste in the street, like making it like having it fester. It just it's it's really. I think people forget that it's not just like a, a building was destroyed or people were killed. It's there's lasting effects that linger. For probably generations, you know, it's just, it's just, I don't know, it really is infuriating. I think the crazy part is the World Health Organization, so the WHO, recently released some data as to what is being reported to them in terms of disease. And they said so far, now keep in mind, these are just reported numbers. And that means it's just the tip of the iceberg in most mm -hmm. cases. 100,000 cases of diarrhea. And those are in young children. So half of those are in young children under the age of five, which means it can be deadly. And this number is just 25% higher 
than what we have seen reported pre-conflict. And in terms of respiratory infections, so things like COVID, influenza, pneumonia, 150,000 cases. And that's just the numbers that we know about. But we're also seeing cases and outbreaks of things like meningitis, skin rashes, scabies, lice, chickenpox, which is highly infectious. And you know, we worry in those cases about when people are in these close quarters and their bodies are already strained. Because one thing we do know is that when your body is physiologically under stress, meaning no sleep, malnutrition, you know, not access to clean water to wash your hands, not you're dehydrated, etc., you're at an increased risk for disease and severe disease. So that means that people are at higher risk to get it and then to spread it in these environments. And that's what's really scary because it becomes a hot spot for transmission. And you mentioned that this feels like a secondary effect in many ways. It's almost like a, a secondary conflict, if you will, mm-hmm. and one that will leave lasting implications because what we do know is that disease and conflict go hand in hand. When I think about it a lot, it's and we've seen this unfortunately throughout time, is that conflict can bring disease and it can amplify disease. When I say bring disease, we know that people in these spaces, soldiers can bring in diseases that are being spread around, but we've also seen sexually transmitted diseases in the past being spread through sexual assault and sexual violence. And that's one thing I definitely worry about. And unfortunately, we know that's happening and it's not something we're going to see reported for a while, but things like that can and do occur. And it's, it's a very scary situation. If, if I can tack on a little bit to the diarrhea subject here, because I am a GI and, and liver doc. I mean, in a typical month in Gaza, there is about 2,000 cases of diarrhea in kids under five. And in the last month, there was over 40,000 cases. And for kids that aren't getting water, they're not getting the recommended amount of like daily water. Like it's like seven to eight liters in refugee situations is what's recommended. These people are getting like one to two liters per whole families. So they're not staying hydrated. And these are kids that are the most vulnerable. It's, that's the part that is really hard for me. And I've, I've actually seen people sort of downplay it, like just like, well, it's diarrhea, you know, that's what you get. But in these situations, it's, it's going to be very serious for these kids. And the other thing we're seeing is cases of jaundice. They're noting that people are becoming, which to me suggests that there's hepatitis A and hepatitis E, which is, you know, you get through fecal oral contamination. And hepatitis E in particular is what concerns me because th- there is pregnant women and when pregnant women get hepatitis E, it's worse for them. There's that, that, that's a, a really bad situation. And when that happens, I mean, these are, these are women who are already not getting support. They're already undernourished. They're not able to produce breast milk. They're going to be sick. They're not going to be able to feed their kids. It's, um, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine, honestly. I, I mean, I know it's, it's funny. We can say these things. We can talk about the numbers, but it is like to actually wrap my brain around it breaks my brain. I cannot like imagine the numbers of people that that are sick and are in these hospitals, not just being treated, but like the Nasser Hospital, which is one of the two hospitals in in Gaza. You know, they they're like a 350 bed hospital. There are already over like a thousand patients, and not to mention the many thousands, over seventy thousand people just staying there. You know, for for refuge, it's absolutely a nightmare. I can't I can't wrap my brain around it. Yeah, like often I know when I speak to colleagues who are there or other journalists, say they'll go to hospitals, A, in the hope that they'll be safe, which hasn't proven to be true, sadly, which is pretty messed up, but B, you know, they have maybe generators, right, so they can charge and 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 
tell the world what's happening or try to. Seems like some of the world isn't listening. But yeah, it, 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 their hospitals are incredibly overcrowded. I wonder, like, if we could go back to diarrhea. Yeah, I know it's not like a fun topic yes. to talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Score. <laughs> yeah. It's ready it's to It's my time to shine. It, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's this life's work. So, like, I think it was diarrhea that I read kills more people than conflict annually. Oh, yeah. Worldwide? Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, Saskia probably has better numbers on it than I do, actually. But worldwide, yeah, it's uh, probably the number one, um, number one killer. Yeah. So, like, let's just break that because I most of like by the very nature of this being a podcast, right? Most of our people listening are in in the in the kind of the, the in the neoliberal core or the global north, whatever you want to call it, right? Like they have a smartphone and they've downloaded this, and, and it might be difficult to understand how you die from diarrhea which is like an inconvenience in in a lot of places so can you just explain that for people so they can they can understand and how the conditions that we're seeing in gaza would compound that saskia do you want me to go first oh all you i'll talk so, about how it spreads you can talk okay <laughs> so i mean the, the there's a couple of issues that can happen there's a lot but I mean, dehydration is going to be a major one and loss of electrolytes. And these people can get so badly dehydrated that their circulatory system isn't working properly, or they can lose the amount of electrolytes that they need and they're not replacing. And that can cause cardiovascular issues as well. So it's a terrible way to die. I mean, you know, cholera and these terrible like diarrheal epidemics uh, that, you know, we we think of of mostly in the past they're terrible they're terrible ways to go and especially if you don't have the i mean it's treatable usually it's treatable you know you get fluid rehydration you get electrolyte management it's it's pretty manageable in the right situation but if you don't have that um it's it's gonna it's gonna be a devastating thing to the body over time and, so, and for young kids sooner rather than later yeah so maybe we should get Explain how it spreads. Yeah, I, I mean, the scary part, so there's multiple pathogens that can cause diarrheal illness. And for the most part, we see bacteria and viruses. Um, if you've had norovirus, which is the cruise ship bug, that is highly transmissible, meaning it just goes through households and environments very, very quickly. During outbreaks, you can't just use hand sanitizer and a simple disinfectant. You need bleach. And if you're, if we're thinking about the best case scenario, and I've, I've seen, you know, diarrheal illnesses go through schools, hospitals, you name it, we still struggle to contain those. Now put yourself in an environment with this level of stress. And, you know, of the 36 hospitals in Gaza, Gaza, 26 have been damaged, 21 are not functional at all, 13 are partially functioning, and two are barely functioning. So we know that access to care is a challenge. Resources, I can't even imagine. So that means the capacity to treat patients with antibiotics, with fluids, everything, and now contain it, which is the disinfection, you know, all the infection prevention, essentially. And I don't even want to think about contact tracing and public health interventions because it doesn't exist. It's an entirely collapsed system. You know, this is a humanitarian crisis. So when, you know, when you have people in close quarters and there's a lot of high touch items because a lot of diarrheal illness is spread through touch, it's, you know, contaminated hands and objects and then, you know, you touch your mouth, you eat with your hands, et cetera. That's how these things are spread. So between the bathroom, 
not having access, you know, not having access to restrooms. You know, we mentioned the toilet situation. There's also one shower for every 4,500 people. So we know that people are not able to clean themselves effectively. And this is a ripe condition for diarrheal illness to spread. And they, it spreads very quickly, very efficiently, and it is exceedingly hard to get rid of. And it worries me because a lot of these diseases, it's not just like you get it one time and you have immunity to it. It can keep going around. And if you have a situation like that where you cannot clean effectively, you can't treat effectively, then we're just going to see it continuously compound. And that's absolutely terrifying because, you know, we, we were talking about um, pregnant women earlier. There's 50,000 pregnant women right now in Gaza and they are malnourished. That's just at the tip of the iceberg. And we see that so many children there are malnourished. And these are very um, dangerous infections for vulnerable people. And on the best of days, we struggle to contain diarrheal illness. So my big concern is this and respiratory viruses, to be honest with you, because when you have this many people in close quarters and ignore the fact that they are extremely, you know, physically strained and stressed right now, which is when your immune system struggles, it's going to spread and it's going to be exceedingly hard to contain. So this is an environment where we're going to see diarrheal illness spread and it's going to unfortunately kill a lot more people then we will even realize it's going to take years to understand the implications of this. Um, You know, if we even consider that access to clean water and food, you know, we've been talking a lot about malnourishment, which is huge, but I'm also concerned that the quality of food that they're getting too, and the the water, all of it, everything about the situation is going to spread disease. It's, you know, I, I know that sounds quite dramatic, but it's entirely true. No, I mean, I'm glad you're emphasizing that because I, I don't think people realize the gravity of of like a second wave of death. Like that, that happens like not even not with weapons. Uh, but um, no, I'm glad you emphasize that. Let's uh, let's take our first break. We'll be right back. Bean Dad, The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... 
We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it reminds me, too, of when we saw UN peacekeepers in Haiti and they introduced yeah. cholera. And, yeah. you know, and that's, it's an unfortunate reality when you are bringing in groups of people to, and this, you know, for, in, in Haiti, they were trying to help the situation. Um, in this case, it's not surprising. I mean, there's, there's a really good book um, called Contagions and Chaos that actually talks about how infectious diseases can amplify conflict or create mm-hmm. it. And ultimately, I think we're just going to see this as a rolling health issue until there's a ceasefire and until there's really substantial work in there to, re- to resource and to take care of people. I mean, it's scary to me. Uh, Kaveh, you mentioned that you had a question for Saskia. I do. You know, you've written and you talked a lot about the intersections of science and policy, particularly in terms of COVID-19. We've seen that global threats elsewhere can affect Americans. And I'm wondering, is there a way to try and appeal to Westerners who aren't that interested yet in why they should care about infectious diseases that are rising or becoming rampant in other places? Is there an argument you can make to these people who may not care that much about the Palestinian people per se? Oh, I, there's, there's the, the political answer I should give you. And then there's the real answer, which is, you know, political answer saying that, you know, people do care and, you know, we're just have to, having to constantly remind them. But the real answer is, look, we just came out of three and a half years of a pandemic. And at this point, if people don't give a shit, they're not going to. And I know that's crude for me to say, but it's, I've, I've been working in this and I, we've seen it from Ebola to MERS to MPOX and in now coming out of COVID, I, I think we can safely say that, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when, but people really like the saying that is um, infectious disease knows no borders. And to a certain extent, that is true. Infectious diseases, they don't know that, but it ignores the fact that some countries are more equipped to handle them and that borders are a porous concept. So in this case, I, I'm think from an American perspective where it is a very complicated relationship Americans have, and I'm not getting into that when it comes (laughs) to Israel. The reality is that 
it shouldn't matter if it's a conflict. If you see an outbreak somewhere, you should be worried for those people. And it shouldn't matter if it's going to impact you. But now that we have lived through a pandemic, a historical event, I would like to think people would see this and realize any one of these diseases can come to the States. It can strain global resources. And I'm, I'm hopeful that with the amount of attention that's coming to this and that the work that the WHO and, and the UN have been drawing attention to it, that will change. But I, I get a little nervous every time we talk about infectious diseases and conflict areas because I find that Americans, and it's not just us, but people in high-income countries, disassociate because that is a conflict-related issue. But it's not. Um, conflict can mean many different things. And it's essentially saying this is this is an issue that's going to bubble out of control. And if we were in a situation where there was no clean food and water, we had no access to health services and medicine, fuel was an issue and power, no communication. And I just, you know, read that three Palestinian internet providers went down. So they have no way to contact the outside world, safe housing, safe passage, etc. Any one of those impacted us, we would be experiencing it. And I, I will leave that question with one comment it's to say, we are a very well-resourced country. The U.S. invests so many resources into health, global health security, bio-preparedness, all of the above. And we were one of the worst performers when it came to COVID response. And, and I say that having worked in healthcare during that and doing epidemiology, and I think this should be a continuous wake-up call that it's, it's, we're one disease away from an international crisis. And when we see this, it should really speak to the fact that it is global health. It's not national health, not local health. It is global health. That's my TED talk. <laughs> the good TED talk. I, I guess like if I could piggyback on that, like, there is not a single war that I have covered, uh, either remotely or in person, where I have not then seen those people arrive at our border where I live. Uh, like I was in Syrian Kurdistan in October. I am seeing people leaving Turkey, more, more Turkish Kurdistan, but but also Syrian Kurdistan, or uh, people who went to Syria and went back to Turkey at our southern border right now. I am seeing people from conflicts all over the world at our southern border right now. And like ev every single conflict, because we tend to stick our nose into every single conflict, uh, it ends up here, right? Because we tell people we support them, and then we abandon them, and they come here thinking that we were going to support them. I'll also add that every time there is an infectious disease outbreak going forward, it will be used in the same way that COVID was to prevent asylum. Uh, so the Title 42 that was used to, uh, like, quote-unquote, catch and release migrants at the southern border allowed Border Patrol to, re to reject people without processing their asylum claim. That's a public health law. It's not a migration law. Biden's already indicated that he would love to do the same thing again. Uh, and, like, you don't even need an excuse with this infectious disease stuff, right? The law is already there and it was already in place for several years. Um, so it's kind of stood the test of the courts. And this will impact, even if you don't give a shit about people in Palestine and maybe you should examine what's up with your morality if you do, like this will impact you because people will come here and it will impact you because people who should come here won't be able to. And that will mean that people who have done nothing wrong, who trusted us when we lied to them, you know, people, Americans seem to care about Afghans more than other people. Like, I've spoken to hundreds of Afghan women at our border, and, like, they were stuck under Title 42 in very dangerous situations in, in places like Mexico. So even if you only care about those people, you should still care about this, I guess. Can I add something, too? I, I think Please. 
you know, to, to avoid fueling isolationism, because I think that happens all the time when we talk about these global health issues, every resource that has to be put to helping this health crisis that is bubbling out of a humanitarian crisis is a resource that's not back where it's supposed to be addressing global health issues. Meaning, so for example, when we saw the Ebola outbreak in West Africa in 2014, after there were, you know, we started to actually realize the implications to malaria control, tuberculosis, HIV. So when we have to throw a bunch of emergency resources at a a crisis, those are coming out of somewhere else. And I worry too that people don't realize that we're, you know, as the WHO, the UN, everywhere MSF is having to help this situation because there's no access to care. And it, again, is a health crisis. That means we're going to start to see other things pop up elsewhere. And that really worries me because we are already very strained when it comes to global health resources. We just, again, came out of a pandemic. So everyone's tired. Everyone's burnt out. We've got um, health systems and a lot of, and we're seeing even in the US where a lot of funding for like the CDC is being pulled and NIH. So now that we're out of kind of coming back into this panic neglect cycle, I worry that a lot of the resources that we're having to pull to address this crisis are going to then ultimately leave a lot of other places at risk for infectious diseases for long-term health implications. So it is a lot bigger than one area or people, you know, having to flee to the US. It's it's all of these things. And too often we approach this with a very short-sightedness. And we have, we don't, you know, we have finite resources when it comes to global health response. And when we have to use them because, you know, we're not, you know, approaching this effectively or appropriately, then we're going to see larger implications. Yeah, even like, uh, we can just keep building off each other's stuff and just not hear from the other two. E- even uh, recently, I was trying to buy some humanitarian daily rations for the border, which are if people aren't familiar. They're like MREs for refugees. Yeah, I made Shireen eat one on a live show once. Yeah, it's very yeah. salty. Yeah, very salty. Uh, it's good for the electrolytes. But mm-hmm. um, like the, the State Department is buying the back off surplus retailers at the minute. Which like means that there's obviously like a critical lack of supply of these things. Same with UNHCR shelters, uh, and like that means that someone else doesn't get to eat, right? Because we've just massively increased the burden of people who desperately need to eat. And uh, like it's not like these things were chilling before. Like there, there were you know hunger is still a massive problem in the world despite us having so much food here. And so like the same yeah the same is true of medical supplies like you said right that that means that somebody else doesn't get them that money doesn't go to something else very important uh, that it could be going to Can I ask about something I just learned about the past couple of days so on December 25th the Jerusalem Post reported that an IDF soldier died of a fu- of a fungal infection and apparently uh he was hospitalized and eventually he he died and at least 10 other soldiers have been diagnosed with infections of some sh- sort i think what kind of made me annoyed is that there is a headline from the times of israel that said as a soldier with fungal infection dies fears grow of gaza diseases spreading into israel and apparently they're examining whether the infections originated from the hamas tunnels and all this stuff i think <sighs> <laughs> While I, it's right. It's a plague tunnel. I, I th- that's it. Really, it really bothered me because I, I looked at all of these articles. I mean, most of them are obviously um, Israeli sourced, but 
it still was the same rhetoric of there is diseases in Gaza and our soldiers are getting them. And the, mm. honestly, the takeaway in all of these was we have to worry about is- Israeli public health and the Israeli citizens. It wasn't about anything about the Gazans or anything like that. Yeah. And I was just, I guess I wanted to ask, is there any truth at all to the idea that there can be certain infections localized to that degree, even though it's like a very small country in general. And I guess it's, it's, it's really, I feel like it's a fear mongering tactic using health as a weapon, but I don't know. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Even the fungus has gone woke. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) They've weaponized fungus. Um, Saskia, I'll, I'll, I'll let you address it, but I would say this. I mean, I, I think the fear, uh, I just did an episode um, uh, of my podcast uh, on funguses and talking about The Last of Us and seeing like the truth if there's really concern, especially with global climate change. And it, it is, it, it, I mean, the, the thought of a fungus affecting humans in that way who are not in some way under their body under stress or immunosuppressed. It's it's not that likely, and I definitely agree from what I'm I'm hearing that like this is just another way to be like look at these dirty people we should bomb them to the really to, to get rid of me. the fungus yeah like, everything yeah. related to Palestinians is oh they're all it's all the plague like they're scary they're barbaric and also they're gonna make you sick it's it's really infuriating mm. they're just going at every angle I just I found the quote that made me mad can I read it okay I'm gonna read it basically it says. Uh, The war between Israel and Hamas has led to the destruction of large swaths of Gaza and internal displacement of the vast majority of its population, resulting in what is called a humanitarian crisis for the Palestinians. It is called that because it is that. Uh, Body, body, blah. These conditions have led to the outbreaks of various diseases, which can potentially threaten the well-being of hundreds of thousands of IDF troops fighting in Gaza. They can also ultimately spell trouble for public health in Israel. (sighs) I just can't believe that's the takeaway. I'll, I'll let Sas- Saskia, do you want to uh, address the, the the spread of fungal infection in a situation like this? Yeah, I, I mean, look, again, this is a situation where disease is going to be spread, and that includes IDF soldiers. They mm-hmm. are at risk because guess what? They all have to go back to their bunks and sleep at night in close quarters. Do we see diseases spread easily in militaries? Of course. I mean, it would be insane not to think that, but trying to, you know, source it in in Palestinians and Gaza is, is slightly ridiculous because yeah. there's no epidemiological evidence of that. But it's also kind of weird to me that they're saying a fungal infection. That's a very specific thing. And fungal infections aren't fast infections. For the most part, you know, when we do see them, I, I think from a regional perspective, if you live in the Southwest, like I do, valley fever. Is, is a fungal infection. It's in the dirt, though. It's a spore in the dirt. And it's not spread between people. So that's the, that's the key part. It is you inhale it and you get it. Um, and it takes months in a lot of cases. But, you know, can you, can you see fungal infections? Yeah, that could be contaminated water, you know, inhalation mm-hmm. um, through showers, things like that. I mean, there's, there's ways for that to happen. But we really just, for the most part, see those infections spread from an individual source, not an individual person. They tend to really not be, they're environmentally spread, you know, and I'm, I'm not a fungal expert. I can just speak to the ones that I've seen and really we don't see them spread between people. And so I think that it's, it's a weird choice to say. And I, I worry a little bit that they're just, again, to your point, trying to say like, oh, look, 
our, our soldiers are getting sick, you know, the sacrifice they're making right. is, yeah. is so much. And here's the thing. Conflict is where we're going to see disease spread no matter what. And I, if, if you're so worried about soldiers getting fungal infections from Gaza, then maybe keep the people in Gaza safe. And then they're, you know, either way you, you paint this, if you're trying to blame it on them, then keep them safe and they won't be able to spread disease. It's very simple. Yeah. They did, they did cite contaminated soil. Okay. That's a contamination thing, like environmental. <laughs> yeah. This one epidemiologist <laughs> yeah. said that these soldiers have come back with serious antimicrobial resistant infections that they've picked up through contact with contaminated soil, among other factors. Like one, I, I feel like it's like a very... A direct yeah. statement. Like, there's a lot. Go- there's a lot yeah. to unpack there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Again, though, if it's in the soil, it's an environmental exposure. Right. That is like that's not anyone's fault from an antimicrobial perspective. That I, I'm having a hard time believing that valley fever, as I mentioned, is really hard to treat. So sometimes it's not responsive to some of the medica- medications you give. But you know, you're going to get antimicrobial infections more so from people in contaminated objects, because that means that it has to have been exposed to antibiotics and become resistant to the infections. But there's, I, that feels like very messy, uh, you know, reporting on their part or communications, because not a lot of that makes sense to me. And either way, if they're saying it's from the environment, congratulations, you've just proven you're not getting it from people. Yeah. Thank you for getting into that. I just, the the Hamas tunnels, uh, no, the Hamas terror tunnels, sorry, in their words, they're terror tunnels. They're mm-hmm. going to investigate whether um, infections have originated from there. It just, it's also uh, just, that doesn't make any sense. So I'm glad to have two doctors here agree. And that's all I wanted. <laughs> I mean, I will say this coccidiomycosis is Valley fever. And we like, you know, she just mentioned it's, we see it here in California. It's the reason why we used to say, if you're driving down central Valley, California, down the I five, you should roll up your window and, and not breathe in the air because there's a possibility of getting it from that. So Wait, they say that, well, they, I don't think they do so much anymore. Do I need to do um, <laughs> There's a whole number of reasons why you don't want to be breathing in. Yeah, there's a lot of cow farms out there, too. Yeah, yeah. It gets a little Oof. bit nasty out there in the I-5. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's, it is an endemic thing. It's like if they don't want to be exposed to it, stay out of that area. Yeah. yeah. But you're not going to get it from other people. That's the kicker. It's not yeah. spread from people. Yeah. It is very common to attribute infectious diseases that come from conflict to your enemy. Or right. That, like, if you look at, like... The 1918 pandemic flu, right? And all the different things that people called that flu and, and the people to whom they attributed it. Like, you, you can see that we've been doing that for more than 100 years. It's uh, it's part of the process of dehumanizing people who you're trying to kill. It happened with COVID, too. No, it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That was a whole different situation. I, mean, I guess humans just don't learn, I suppose. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? 
I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So I wonder, Saskia, like we, obviously this is a terrible situation and it's one that's like super easy to feel very disempowered with because, uh, you know, as, as much as you march around and do things, like it doesn't seem to be stopping. Is there, is there anything that like people can do, advocate for, uh, like take action on that, that could make this slightly less bad? I mean, a ceasefire. I encourage people to donate to UNICEF and obviously, you know, MSF, a lot of the wonderful organizations doing work there. And probably my my biggest one right now, especially since we're around the holidays and people are spending a lot of time with family and likely getting into some heavy conversations around the dinner tables, make sure you're well-informed and you're not spreading misinformation and disinformation online because that's been a huge aspect of this. We, you know, we saw with the, the humanitarian crisis in uh, Ukraine, you know, Russia took direct action to spread misinformation and disinformation. And we're struggling with that in the United States right now with this. So I encourage people to stay informed of this, um, to really utilize good resources and not pull things from social media. If you're going to share something, 
you know, do so from an accurate source. I really, you know, the WHO, UN have been really good at doing continuous updates and sharing that information, Human Rights Watch, and all of the above. And on top of, again, donating and really being an advocate for a ceasefire to me is the biggest thing because, and also reminding people, hey, this is currently a localized crisis, but infectious diseases and humanitarian crisis, crises, excuse me, rarely stay that way. I would also plug the Palestinian Medical Relief Society, the PMRS. They're the on the ground people. They've been there since 1979. They are founded by Palestinian doctors. It's mostly uh, Palestinian run. And they're doing, I think, really good work down there as best they can. And they're where actually the WHO gets most of their information, or a lot of it, at least. It's coming from their updates from the PMRS people um, on the ground. So that's a another local source to look at if people are interested in, in getting involved. Perfect. You got Thank you. Shireen? I'm not, I'm not going to wrap it up yet. I was just thinking how unfortunate it is that people don't care enough so you have to be like it's not only going to stay localized like it's not just that pro you know what i mean yeah. i hate that we have to go there because yeah. especially after going through a pandemic yourself if that is still not enough for you to have any kind of empathy that's that's just insane to me that's uh the one consistent thing i've seen is a lot of people say oh this conflict is is you know very there's a lot of history and i don't really want to get involved and yeah and, and you know to us i i do understand that there is a long complicated history that not a lot of people are well informed of but inform yourself mm-hmm. and that doesn't mean you can't have empathy you can you know denounce Hamas and also denounce anti-semitism yeah these things are not yeah, mutually exclusive sure. and it's it's impressive to me that we're still after you know, it's not even been three months and we've lost 20,000 people that we know of in this. Um, we're seeing journalists killed left and right as well. It's it's impressive to me that people are still saying, ooh, I don't, I don't really want to comment on that. Or, you know, it's, it's, it's very messy. Like, it, it is and it's not, though. <laughs> in, in the, yeah, in the yeah. medical, I'm sorry, James, in the medical world, I've seen doctors complain about more about the, the word provider and how it's used than the fact that 300 medical professionals have been killed, some of them while doing their duty in the hospital. Like, that's a part that kind of surprised me from a medical perspective. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned it to you before. I'm grateful for coming on your show because I think a lot of the, the overlap between doctors who listen to our show and they listen to yours and they're very vocal and they're online and they are the ones who, who are really giving me hope in these situations mm-hmm. because and there's a lot of people in medicine and this is a medical issue i mean i'm not even talking about any of the history that's nothing that's not what i'm it, that's not what is important to me right now it's about this healthcare crisis that is worsening and progressively worsening and i it is it is a bit of a bummer that i'm not seeing a little bit more interest in, in addressing it yeah I would hope also that most people like inside or outside the medical community could maybe agree that like the correct number of hospitals to bomb is zero hospitals and, and that, but that, yeah, that there isn't a reason why you bomb a hospital. You just shouldn't. I mean, Anthony that. Blinken said like a year or what, like about Ukraine and Russia, Russia bombed hospitals and schools. There's no way that's normal. And then like, there's a video where it's like cross sectioning into like right now how he's like we're always going to support israel so it's like no it's not normal (laughs) bombing hospitals and schools is never normal or okay it's 
crazy that Israel went from being like, we would never bomb a hospital to bombing dozens of them and nothing yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah. But, and um, like, yeah. I guess just for like, like completion, it is not okay when Turkey bombs hospitals in, in Northeast Syria either. Like I was there when they bombed one, they bombed another one since. It's not okay when the hunter in Myanmar bombs hospitals and there's one hospital left standing in the whole of Kareni state right now. And, and like this is happening there too. Uh, when yeah. We're not like not caring about those people because this is the topic of the day or whatever. Like, yeah, It's also ahead. not okay to use white phosphorus mm-hmm. on yeah. unarmed civilians. No, yeah, I, like at all. across the board. We're yeah, like in general, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's horrific, and I just yeah. I think it's it's you know, and there was there were a couple of reports, and I think that there's still data coming out about it that um, bodies had organs stolen from them. Yeah, which is just horrific. Jesus, and yeah, yeah and there's That's a really a practice um, the Washington, that Israel has done for a while yeah. though. Israel's uh, they said they stopped it, and then they're continuing to do it, but it's like. They're notorious for bringing to returning bodies that have been like autopsied or having all their organs removed. And I want to just point out that for Muslim burials, the body is like it's very important that the body is whole, and the same for Jewish burials. But it's just uh, really disgusting, just point blank, and then also really disrespectful. But yeah, sorry, I interrupted. Sorry. No, no. I mean, it's and again, you know, I think there's still a lot of information coming out about that and how many that occurred, et cetera. Because I, like I mentioned before, I think information right now is really challenging. Accurate information, of course, is exceedingly difficult. So I, I'm always very careful, you know, what what we say. And but to me, uh, you know, the uh, the Washington Post just released a really good article and in depth analysis of the attacks on the Al Shifa Hospital because that's the biggest hospital in Gaza. And for a while, you know, IDF was saying, well, this is where Hamas has been operating. They have tunnel networks. And there was was a good breakdown of why this is inaccurate. And at the end of the day, no, there's no acceptable reason to bomb a hospital and drawing attention to the fact that this was occurring and misinformation is being shared is huge. So I'm hopeful that, you know, and very grateful to be on this podcast and talk with you all, because the more information we can communicate about this situation, but also about the fact that there are much larger consequences of this from just even an infectious disease perspective is so critical because I don't think people realize that. And again, they disassociate when they hear it's a conflict. It's a result of conflict. It's, it is so much larger than that. It will, you know, we will see it in the States. We will see the ramifications of this. And, um, if nothing else, again, coming out of COVID, I'd like to think that we realize that we are part of a much larger interconnected world and infectious diseases are simply a plane flight away. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Thank you both so much for your brains and your knowledge and for coming on the show. It's uh, yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Of course. And before we go, uh, I'd like to ask you guys if you have anything you'd like to uh, plug, like where people can find you. Good, you've mentioned a couple of good resources, but other information resources, uh, that kind of thing that you you'd like to share. So, in terms of the resources, I I, I am following a couple members of the PMRS. Um, they have a Twitter feed, but it's not very active. But the WHO gets a lot of the same information and they do a good job of updating 
In terms of where you could learn more, I just did an episode uh, on the healthcare crisis in Gaza on my podcast, The House of Pod, which James has been on. Um, and Shreen, I'm trying to get you to come on. So I'm, I'm gonna, down. Yeah, I'm okay, nice. we're going to keep working on you. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and Saskia, too. I mean, you're all invited. Yeah. I, I'm recording this. I'm just going <laughs> to release it on my podcast as well. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so listen to us there. I'll be doing more episodes on this, uh, topic as well in the, in the coming months. Cool. Perfect. Saskia, how about you? I'm mirroring all of those resources. I really, um, been looking to, of course, I'm a public health nerd. So WHO, UNICEF, Human Rights Watch are my big go-tos as, you know, again, as all the sources we've already mentioned. Um, and I, I really, um, I want to give a shout out to a colleague of mine, Jessica, Alti Rivera, who is really, really wonderful in this space and has been doing a lot of science communication on her Instagram. I tend to be a little bit more on the cesspool that is formerly Twitter. But, you know, I'm, I, I think there's some really wonderful people out there, this entire group included, that are actively working to share information, but also how people can get engaged and involved. So shout out to her and just all the hard work that a lot of key journalists are doing in this space because... Again, if you have no communication out, it's really hard to get accurate information. Yeah. Well, thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, why are you laughing, James? Can I wrap us out? Or is this too monotone? Of an <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you are crushing it, Shereen. <laughs> Send it. No, that's the show. Again, Thanks again for both of you being so outspoken. I think especially reminding everyone that it's actually not complicated because it's... It's also like a medical issue. It's not It's not exactly... When you just look at the numbers, look at body count, look at families, that's, I think, what our main focus should be. And I appreciate you both because I know it's uh, tricky out there to be outspoken. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hello! 
acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.